Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. Today for our 16th episode, we've got Shelby Shadwell. She's going to be talking about Cashew Chicken, Robocop movies, and a whole bunch of drawings. So please stay tuned to check it out. Well, it's a lovely uh, freezing morning here in the, the Chicagoland area, and I'm here with Shelby. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. This is a real honor. Wow. Um, well, and I know that we've already kind of chit chat a little bit and made some small talk, but um, what is the weather like by you? Because it's uh, pretty freezing here, and we're expecting one of those giant snowstorms, which kind of define, I think, studio break because you just want to stay in and not drive anywhere. So, how's the weather by you? Um, I am in Laramie, Wyoming, and uh, this has been the mildest winter. I have seen in my five years here, we, um, there's only a little bit of snow on the ground. The temperature is like in the thirties, which is unheard of here at this time of year. And, um, I am so surprised that, um, we have worse or better weather than you there in the Chicago land area. <laughs> this is not common for us. So it's, it's actually really nice. There's a little cloud cover, but the sun I think is going to come out. So nice, nice. Yeah. It's not bad. And so uh, you're you're out in Laramie. Um, so you know where did you where did you grow up, um, and what was what was that experience like? Um, I grew up um, from Springfield, Missouri, and uh, that's uh, a couple things about it. It's the home of uh, Bass Pro Shops. Uh, it has the original. My dad uh, lived a few blocks from that original Bass Pro. Never went growing up. <laughs> um, it's also Springfield is also near Branson, Missouri. Uh, which is kind of like, um, kind of like Las Vegas, Las really. Vegas, but for family stuff, <laughs> and it's just it's it's the strangest place, one of the strangest stranger places on earth. And uh, I grew up; we would go there and and go see these shows, like hillbilly kind of music, gospel music shows, and uh, and stuff like that. They have Silver Dollar City there which is kind of this amusement park with rides, but it's themed like Pioneer Days, and they have like glass blowing and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, Springfield is also the home of Cashew Chicken, Springfield style. <laughs> and if you ever go to Springfield, Missouri, um, it has the most uh, Asian restaurants like, per capita of any city um, in the U.S., I think. And it's partially because of Cashew Chicken. Now, if you don't know what Cashew Chicken is, it's, it's breaded, uh, deep fried chicken pieces over rice with brown gravy. And the guy that invented it is brilliant because he, he, he wanted to know how do I get more people into my Chinese restaurants. And he basically looked at what people were eating, which is like chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes uh-huh. and made a version uh, for like Chinese restaurants of that. And it's the most popular thing there. Um, if you ever go, go to the Canton Inn or of, uh, uh, Sunshine and, and Campbell, uh, right near Bass Pro. Uh, it's two ninety nine cashew chicken, two dollars <laughs> ninety nine cents 
and you get cashew chicken, rice, and it's it's amazing. And, uh, and that's the, a little bit about Springfield. And that's your sponsor. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, they, uh, they're not paying me yet, but once they hear this. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's the case, but... Um... You know, and, and I'm just kind of curious because, you know, obviously I, I, I've known you for a bit of time, but um, for some reason I just imagine you as a kid wandering around, like looking at things inquisitively. But, you know, I, I could be entirely wrong. But, um, you know, were you were you kind of more the indoorsy type or? That's a great question. Um, I was kind of, I wasn't like a not, a not popular kid, you know, kind of thing, but I wasn't popular mm-hmm. either. I was kind of like in the middle and kind of rotated around different groups and stuff. Um, this isn't really getting at your question necessarily, but uh, what did it, I like to do? I like to play with toys growing up, and uh, I had uh, I had these toys that were kind of from the eighties called and maybe nineties called Megaforce, and they were these arm like like tanks and planes and stuff. And I collected every single one, <laughs> and I would set up these epic battles um, on the stairs usually. And, uh, you know, I would get my, some of my other toys in there. Like I had a toy of, uh, Ed 209 from RoboCop, which was one of my favorite toys. And <laughs> you could get in there as like the giant Megaforce guy that would destroy all these little tanks and stuff. And, and um, I had a, I had a, uh, a Terminator endoskeleton that would join forces as well as a giant, um, that would that would crush these tanks and planes. <laughs> and, um, it was wonderful. And, yeah. Uh, I wish I could get, I guess, I guess part of being an artist is an attempt to get back to that. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, there's a, there's a level of like, uh, orchestration going on, you know, that, that yeah. might, that might be, you know, comparison to, you know, composing a painting or, you yeah. know, making a composition. But, um, yeah. So I was very imaginative. Is, very well, imaginative. Well, I was going to say, I mean, is, is that what kind of, I mean, what is it that maybe led you into, I mean, were you always kind of in a sketchbook drawing stuff or coloring stuff or? Great. That, that's good. That's a good question. I think it, in addition to toys, um, something that started really early in my life was, uh, my dad and my, my mom and dad were divorced and I got to go to my dad's on the weekends and I would get to watch Showtime and Cinemax and, R-rated movies, and my dad was really into sci-fi movies and horror movies, and so I'd watch, like, RoboCop at, like, age seven, or, like, Alien when I was, like, five years old. Jeez. And, uh, and, and it was incredibly formative, I think, in addition to that, to all the, 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 the stimulus with the toys and things, and, and seeing these movies, and, uh, really just blew my mind. It's very formative. And then on the, you know, the weekdays I was watching Sesame street, but on the weekends I was watching like the Terminator, you know, (laughs) at a very young age. And, 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 uh, I think that was something that really was formative. And then that got me into like kind of drawing a little bit. I remember I saw my dad once when I was very young and probably about five or six or seven, something like that. He had drawn a doodle on one of those yellow legal pads and it was like this thing with a few eyes, you know, mm-hmm. like just like a little creature that got me fascinated. And all of this kind of together, I started to kind of draw, I think. And, and then I started drawing like stuff from star Wars and like R rated movies and, um, aliens, you know, I was really into drawing that stuff cause it was so cool. And I was like, Oh man. And, uh, uh, you know, I would attempt to draw these things and, 
I think in doing so, I was just, I get so obsessed with it, I think, that uh, it just kind of kept going. And then I got into comic books, and I was always the kid that could draw stuff. And so everybody was always asking me to draw stuff for them, and I was like, always like, no. And right. uh, I was just drawing for myself, you know? But I was, and one of my favorite things to draw, and I remember when I really got this going, like eight or nine, maybe ten, was Predator from the movie Predator. Obsessed with drawing that motherfucker, <laughs> and and alien like Mother Alien, you know, right? And I just drew that stuff over and over and over again. I got really detailed and graphite and just like really intricate and all those little things. And that was incredibly formative. And I would I would enter these things. We had a show at my elementary school for a contest called Reflections, and it was basically an art thing where you could submit work and it would get you know juried or whatever. My stuff never got in. Ever, and this, this other guy who could draw, his stuff always got in. And he he was drawing like circuses, you know. Well, like you'd have these big circus scenes with people on trapezes and you know uh, animals, and, and and they were so stupid, and they got in every year. And then here I am drawing like AT AT Walker from Star <laughs> Wars, blowing everything up. Yeah, my stuff never got in. You what? Know? And it was. It was horrible. What happened to him, you know, is the real thing. And then also, just to follow up, um, I don't know about RoboCop there at such a young age, sir. It's got yeah. it's got one of the most traumatic death scenes ever in the beginning, oh, you know? Dude, I know. And, 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 and there were times when I would have to leave the room in some of these movies. Another one was, like, 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 I would have to leave the room for that just because I couldn't. It wasn't, like, by force. It was just, like, I couldn't watch that at that time. And then there was another part in Ghostbusters. At the very beginning, when the librarian busts out into that giant monster ghost, <laughs> I had to leave the room up until I was like 12 years old. I couldn't stand it. There were some other scenes like that in movies that were oh, sure, sure. really intense where you'd have to leave the room. Like, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there was one in like almost every movie. Well, there, I did that by choice. I did that by choice. You know, and, and, it's, and I, this, this is going to have, we're going to have to stop this tangent really soon, but, um, just to just to remind you of one that I had, I think there was a movie called something like Beastmaster, mm-hmm. and I think I've seen that. And I believe there's a scene where they throw these people into like these burning fire pits, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get out of it. I remember that being kind of traumatic for me as a kid. But to completely uh, get back on on track here, so um, it's just one more really quick because this is really good. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, you know how most people couldn't, like, I remember, because a lot of my peers saw that at the time, you know, they were allowed to watch that, and they're like, they couldn't stand the part where uh, Onom Shiba, like, he pulls out the heart out of the right, guy, right. you know, and uh, and they couldn't stand that, but that never bothered me. Huh. That never bothered me. It was the ghost in Ghostbusters. <laughs> there you out. go. There you go. Um, well, and so, you know, obviously you've talked a little bit about comics, and I think, you know, just um, a lot of people, especially, I would, I, I mean, maybe this is kind of sound weird or, or sexist or something, but I would imagine a lot of boys maybe kind of get into comic books at a young age. And I know I did, but, um, you know, so did, did you wind up then taking, I mean, is that what kind of initially got you into drawing and that? And then did you, did you have classes in high school where somebody was like, yeah, you should go to college for this? Or did you just wind up going like, yeah, I guess I'll try this in college. I mean, how did, how did that whole thing oh, yeah. work no, that's, out that's that's a great question um it, i think it was more than comic books it was movies because i only got into comic books 
because I was really into like Aliens and Predator, and they came out with a comic book called Aliens vs. Predator. <laughs> and of course, now they have movies, but back then, this was like unheard of. And so that got me into comic books, and I really wasn't into like classic comic books, like superheroes and crap. I was only interested in like the ones that like had to do with the movies that I liked. Um, but yes, uh, then in high school, I'm still kind of drawing. I got really good grades. Um, starting in junior high and I got straight A's. I never got a B starting in junior high. And, uh, I was upset. That was the other thing is like, I just did my homework and I did it really well. And like, whereas other people were distracted, I was just like, Oh, I'm just going to do this, you know? Right. And I got really into it and I got, I was, I, I wanted to be smart and I wanted to be good, you know, and I want to be better than people. <laughs> I think, uh, when it came to grades, um, and, and art and stuff like that. And um, so I took some art in in high school. Um, uh, I was really into video games too, especially the ones that had to do with the movies I liked. Um, and I kind of thought, well, I'm kind of smart. I, I kind of want to be a CEO or I kind of want to be like a video game guy or a computer <laughs> programmer. And, um, and I was going in that track, you know, I was going, going to go to a great college, um, no matter what. And that my last year in high school, um, I was like third or fourth in my class, something like that. And that was due to the, basically the other students cheating. Um, I had more honors classes and stuff than anybody, but they got their parents involved. And so I'm still a little bitter about that. I wrote a whole treatise to the, the school board about it. But anyway, my last year in high school, I was a little, um, uh, burnt out with all that. And I was taking art and I had a great art teacher, Mrs. Kelby, at Glendale High School uh, in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, she had gone to Washington University uh, for art, and she encouraged me to do that. So she helped me get a portfolio together. I was all about it. And uh, so I got some stuff together. She really helped me, and I submitted for, the, for art instead of anything else uh, in college. And I got in um, with a Deep, really good scholarship, and and then just kind of rocked my world after that going forward. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, is, in terms of you know your your production during undergraduate, I mean, obviously, you know, just because we're, we're both instructors, um, you know, I would imagine that you know most of your foundation classes are kind of set up the way that they are. But I mean, um, was that something then that you kind of continued to kind of want to do, even if? Um, you're getting to more advanced classes, you know, like really kind of pushing in terms of, you know, representational kind of drawing. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was total, total, um, eye-opening experience and, and I'm kind of stubborn and I think I was stubborn in what I liked and what I wanted to do and stuff. Of course, at the time when I got into college and before college, um, of course I was, uh, uh, doing a lot of drugs, uh, kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, intermittently. And, uh, drinking and stuff like that. And that was kind of, and that was something that was new that was kind of messing with my whole mind and my outlook on things. And, um, as I progressed, I mean, it was, it's a liberal arts institution at Washington University in St. Louis, but it, and it was the other classes I was taking that were also extraordinarily formative alongside art. I don't think that the art stuff I was learning, I learned, um, had, had great instructors in drawing, um, John Sabra, uh, who, uh, I still kind of keep in touch with a little bit was my first drawing instructor totally changed my mind, my life, uh, in terms of drawing. And I kept drawing, but I, you know, subject matter was just like 
stuff from other classes that I was taking, especially philosophy classes. Um, and so I was kind of, I was really interested in these philosophical ideas and concepts. Uh, that was totally new for me. Um, Springfield was the home of basically, if you go to Springfield, Missouri, it's Bass Pro Shops, churches, and banks, and that's all there is. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of, and I went to church for a while uh, growing up, or a good chunk of time growing up. And um, so I was getting all these new ideas, and like, you know, I was like, you know, thinking about religion and you know, God can't exist, et cetera, et cetera. And that was really formative. And so that got into, was the content of a lot of my work. And, um, it was, uh, disastrous, you know, but it was good as far as process of, as developing as an individual and an individual kind of a voice. I mean, I think the work I was making was really, um, derivative and, but it it was, I, I was going at it, you know, and I was, I was, you know, putting a lot into it. I got into printmaking as far as after the foundations type courses and printmaking was amazing. Um, and I got into printmaking because of, uh, my friend, uh, uh, Paul Roden, who, uh, now runs, uh, uh, with his wife, tugboat, uh, print shop in, in Pittsburgh and they're great people. But I remember after my freshman year, I was doing my drawing final and he, I was sitting outside the dorms and, uh, this dude walks up to me and he's like, just sat down. He's real friendly. He's like, Hey, what you doing? I was like, I'm doing my drawing final. And he's like, Oh yeah, you need to, you need to toke up, man. And so I was like, really? (laughs) And so, uh, that happened and he was really, I don't, I don't understand. I was kind of, I wasn't like the coolest kid or anything, but he was always, uh, really supportive. And he's like, Hey man, you got to try printmaking. And so I did, he was printmaking, moved in with him. And another printmaker, guys who were, you know, in advanced courses and stuff the next year off campus, which was kind of huge and informative. And uh, so I got into printmaking. Printmaking was pretty awesome, you know. Um, at, at WashU, they were doing really experimental things, large prints, large-scale work. That's informed me to now. And, um, and I always wanted to do really traditional prints, like really tight mezzotint-type things and lithographs and... But they never really encouraged that, uh, which right. was fine, uh, I think, in the long run. But it's, I was a total asshole um, as a student, you know, um, and I was terrible. And I was always challenging authority. I was challenging these ideas. I didn't like abstract art. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was about, you know. I like stuff that looked really freaking optically cool and realistic, you know. And I was adamant about that for a long time. Um, and up until, you know, really my last year there where I was getting really kind of challenged and I was looking at all these things. And I'm like, what am I doing? And uh, that's kind of where I was at in the transition to graduate school. Right. And so, I mean, and, and did you take – am I wrong in, in thinking that you took some time off as well or did you just go straight to graduate school? I went, I went straight to grad school. I was like, I, have, I don't want to get a job. I don't want to work. I'd worked at Target in high school and it was – grotesque and uh you know i kind of had jobs through college of course but mostly as like a medical test subject at barnes hospital there you know and uh stuff like that and i was like i don't want to get a job and i'm like i'm gonna try grad school and 
one of my instructors who was great, Dawn Guernsey, who was there at the time at Washington, she had gone to, I think she had gone to Southern Illinois University or something like that, or Tom Hub, my first printmaking instructor, had, had gone to Southern Illinois University. And so I applied for a number of grad schools, and I, I got into Southern Illinois University, and I got a fellowship to go, which meant I, I was getting paid, but I didn't have to teach that first year, you know? Right, right. And I was like, I didn't want to get a job, didn't want to get a job. And basically that first year in grad school was, if there's any kind of time off, that might be it in some ways. Like, Because, you know, it was like you go to, God, what is that place just down Stone's Throw Away where we play pool? Um, Gatsby's? Gatsby's, yeah, yeah. dude. Ended up Gatsby's. And, uh, and, and I was playing a lot of pool. I was drinking a lot of beer. Um, well, it, it, it sounds like, you know, really like the perfect setup in a way, you know, not, not to say like, again, you know, cause you talked a little bit about being a, a mischief maker as an undergrad, but, um, you know, really to have the time just to, just, to, you know, obviously graduate school is about that time to be able to paint or, you know, make sculptures or whatever it is that you're doing, but to, um, you know, to be in that environment and start out where you don't have to worry about, you know, getting out a ridiculous loan or, or getting another job to really kind of be able to, you know, make, make artwork and, yeah, you know, yeah. and kind of go to class and kind of, you know, be immersed in that environment. It sounds like a, I don't know. It seems like it sounds like everything kind of meshed well, I guess, for that time, you know? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And what happened is that from undergrad to grad, I feel like I was a totally different person, but things softened mm-hmm. and my mind kind of opened and I took art history again, you know, with like Chemetsky, and it's like I'd had art history surveys and stuff before, but just taking that art history class again with Chemetsky, like from basically from like Man A up to through, um, you know, pop art minimalism, like I still remember, like, you know, and I'm like, well, that makes sense, you know, and I'm like, I got to this point where I was like, you know, it's not about, you know, I can have my own taste, but it's like, I started to really appreciate what just even that first year of grad school, what everybody, all artists were doing in some way. And I'm like, I'm still questioning things like what the hell is art? What are we doing? You know, what does this mean? What is this, you know, what is it? Right. And, um, I really started to soften, I guess when it comes to that. And I started really, really finding influences in like minimalists, you know? And I'm like, dude, that's so, kind of quiet, you know, and, and, and there's a place for quietness, you know, and, and so that was good. And, and, and at that, that time, that first year, just kind of my, my printing professor at the time, Joel Feldman, who was, who was awesome. He retired halfway through my time there. And then Jason Urban came in, but, um, uh, Joel, just that first year, he's like, um, I, well, before I say that, like, I remember, get in my studio. Studios were all kind of awesome there. And I got, I put up my work from undergrad and I'm like, I got, I, I was like, Hey Ed, Ed Shea. I was like, Hey, check this out, man. You're going to love this one. This is what I've been doing. You can see it in person. And he's like, yeah, save your past successes for your grandkids. And then he just like, he was there for like three minutes. And left. So that was kind of huge. And Joel was kind of the same, same attitude, you know? And I, I right. think that was good, you know? And Joel kept asking me like that first year, he's like, what the hell do you want to say? And I was doing traditional lithographs and, etchings and stuff because I wanted to learn that in undergrad and they wouldn't let me and um, so I was I was doing like imagery like kind of self-portraits and then I just I was like I'm just going to do still lifes you know I'm just going to freaking do some badass observational still lifes 
And that kind of brought me into that second year where I started teaching drawing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when I started teaching, I'm like, dude, I can do this. I can do this really awesome. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. Right. And so I just started doing still lifes. And there was something so conceptually kind of cleansing about that, you know, just that step back well, and not trying to, not trying to force content and trying to be suggestive. And I think understanding that relationship between suggestion and the power of suggestion in artwork. Sure. Uh, sure. It's really huge. Well, and I, I was going to say too, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, taking these art history courses and, you know, when I think about your work, I think of, you know, a lot about it, I think of as just looking. And I know that sounds maybe silly because we're, you know, in a visual arts field, but, um, you know, in terms of things that you're becoming interested in or things that are kind of, you know, the leaping off point, it seems like looking at something is going to be the, the thing that kind of stimulates you into, I don't know, making work about it. Um, and I yeah. think in the way that you're talking about it, where it's not something that's necessarily heavy handed and, and certainly the work that you made, you know, shortly after the one that we're talking about, you know, is, is, is what, you know, essentially what we're talking about. So, I mean, how did, how did that all come about in terms of, you know, questioning, you know, the, the inherent meaning that we give things, um, yeah. you know, well, I, I think that is huge and, um, it kind of, you know, uh, sh- shifting my focus to observation, um, and looking at things and just kind of imagining and going back to that idea of playing with toys and creating these imaginative universes and battles and things. And then at the same time thinking about movies and how movies convey things, how great filmmakers work uh, and suspense works, um, I was really – I started thinking about all those things and 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 – it's something just kind of clicked, you know, it's like, you know, in a, in a movie, a really great movie, the scary part, you know, is not when the monster jumps out. It's like all of that. That's just the release of the tension of the scariness. You know, that's like, that's not the actual scary part. The scary part is that leading up to that, you know, where you don't see the monster and thinking about that. And then looking at, for example, an everyday and, and applying that to like an everyday mundane kind of a thing. Well, um, you know, you look at when I was a kid, for example, I had, uh, uh, an encounter with a spider in the shower. And it, as I turned on the water and I was all naked, this spider jumped down and it was pretty big. It's like one of those wolf spiders. Mm-hmm. And I screamed, you know, and I was terrified. And, um, you know, it was a, that was a formative moment in that from then on for a long time, I had to, before I would take a shower, I would have to look and inspect the entire shower behind the curtains that, you know, the shower curtain, I would have to inspect that, uh, because I could imagine that spider hiding behind those things. Same with the toilet. I had to check around and under the toilet for spiders because I was like, dude, it could be right there. It could just, and then it could just crawl right out bite me on the ass. And I was like, that's not acceptable. So, but, but the power is the power of that is I was, my mind, my imagination was forcing me to check for these things. It was forcing me to action basically. And when you're, you know, that shows the power of the mind and the power of suggestion. And, um, and filmmakers use that, I think. And I wanted to use that. I was like that. I wanted, I wanted people to understand that, idea, that concept that 
your mind and your imagination can suggest things to you and cause you to act, you know, and I think that applies to the broader culture. Um, you know, you, you know, you can look at the immigration debate. People are afraid of immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants, because they're afraid that they're imagining that these immigrants are going to come in and rape every, rape all the women and take over or something. But that's their imagination, and it's causing them to act in ways that are completely unreasonable. Like right. I was, I was, I was totally unreasonable. I think in checking every time behind the shower curtain and around the toilet, but I still did it. So there's this, there, there's. The, the, the fear and imagination and things can force you to act in unreasonable ways. And I, I wanted to show that idea. And I think that's all of that stuff was coming together from taking art history classes, from watching films, from talking to other artists, uh, talking to my professors. All of those things seem to kind of coalesce in well, the work I was doing in grad school. Well, and it's interesting too, because I've, you know, I, I, you know, I'm familiar with some of this work, but I, I haven't, hadn't heard the, that personal reflection on it, I guess. Um, and it makes so yeah. much, and it makes so much sense too. I mean, in a lot of the things that you're saying, because I mean, so much of the way that our opinion is formed is based on, I don't know, these weird abstractions of what we think of as reality. You know, which is which is why you know, um, people, you know, and I was just listening to a podcast talking about this yesterday. You know, people think this is the worst time that we've ever lived, but it's just not. You know, um, you know, if you, even if you think about you know Wild West times in the United States. Um, you know, or there's certainly been times where there's been bigger, you know, like slaughtering of people or, you know, I don't know. So to, to try to stay on point here, because I'm always a derailer. Um, so, you know, you you started making work about kind of these setups. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I would set up uh, – the idea was um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a cue. You know, I mean, when you're walking down a, a path – you know, a pathway, and let's say all of a sudden you see a big sign, and this is in Wyoming a lot, that says, uh, stay on the trail, bear is present, you know, and you see that sign, and you look around, and you're like, well, where freaking crap is the bear, or the bears, you know, and and you look around, or like mountain lions, you see a, a big warning sign that says mountain lions in this area, and you look around, and you're like, where's the mountain lion, and you don't see it, and, be, you know, if you see the mountain lion, that's the release of the tension again, you know, like in the, the horror movie. But when you don't see it, that's the building of the tension. That's the question. That's the unknown. Uh, is it there? Is it not actually there? And um, and I think a great class I took, I took a lot of philosophy in undergrad. And, and if I hadn't been an artist, I probably would have gone into philosophy. But I took like a, a metaphysics and epistemology class, mm -hmm. metaphysics being like what is there? is do things exist? Epistemology being like, how do we know anything? Um, and, and those were informative concepts. And the idea that, you know, uh, you know, the sign says mountain lion present and you don't see the mountain lion. Is it there? Is it not there? Where is it? It's an unknown. So I was doing setups, uh, still lifes and sort of cueing you in the same way with the titles. So for example, I'll have a very mundane, you know, seeing, you know, of, you know, a crock pot, you know, for example, and title, title the whole thing still life with kitten. Now you don't see the kitten, but you're cued to have to make that metaphysical decision in your mind. You know, is there a kitten there? Where is it? Is it in the pot? Is it somehow outside the picture plane? How does this window exist? And what is my relationship to it? So I was really 
talking about just basic relationships to a work of art, I think, and about people's, the power of suggestions and about people's preconceptions. I mean, if you imagine a kitten in a crock pot, I mean, that is a horrible, horrible scene. And it's much more grotesque in your mind than I could ever draw it or show it, you know? Sure, sure. Well, it's and, that suggestion. And if I was to show it, it wouldn't be the same thing. It would be shock. It would be the release of the tension. It would be giving all the answers. Right. Well, and, you know, and this is, again, one of the one of the pieces that I'm really familiar with. Um, but, you know, to kind of jump ahead a little bit, too, I mean, is do you think that idea of, um, you know, this cinematic moment, this, you know, really like a lot of people, and, you know, people talk about this, especially with Alfred Hitchcock, you know, like all that anticipation, that buildup, I mean, did, do you think that there was a reaction from people that could kind of understand that, or was it ever kind of brought up to you in terms of, like, you know, this remind, you know, this reminds me of these kinds of moments, because, um, you know, to be honest, yeah. I, I, never, I never really looked at it in terms of the way of that connection, and listen to you talk, both of us talking about, you know, these moments from movies, and, you know, I've had you know, a very similar experience with this in, in watching um, the movie The, the Descendants recently. Um, but just it's how... Good. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, gotcha. But um, I think just just that, I don't know, that reflection, you know, that um, that kind of still reflection of something is so is so important. So, I mean, what, was it something that you think people, you know, maybe recognized, or is it, was it even necessarily important that they would recognize, you know, what it is that maybe you're trying to you know, relate to in a way, you know, because I, I think that's, that's really important. I mean, reactions to the work are important. And I think this being graduate school being for me, you know, a relatively formative and early time, uh, and not having a lot of work before, you know, that sort of thesis and that thesis show, um, you know, I got different reactions from people, you know, and some people didn't get it, get that at all. Some people had to, uh, you know, I would tell them about it and they would kind of get it and some people would get it. And I think some people like related my work kind of to the Alfred Hitchcock thing, but you know, a lot of people said kind of a David Lynch kind of thing. You know, you watch Blue Velvet and you know, that opening scene kind of with the beautiful, pristine suburban neighborhood and then all the insects, you right. know, and people kind of thought of that a little bit. Um, and I think that was that's good, and that's it's it's hard to know how people are going to react to your work, and um, you know that's something that you know I talk to students about a lot, advanced students, you know, and 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 being aware of that. Um, I don't think it's as important to me now um, as it may have been then, um, right? But that's a that's a good question. Um, well, because I think a lot of that as a teacher is really, and the, the way that I look at it is just a way to emphasize that you know trying to be as, as in control of what it is that you're talking about mm-hmm. is really, you know, the biggest thing. Cause I mean, there's, there's going to be, you know, different avenues of art to kind of explore, mm-hmm. you know, but to really kind of feel like you're, I guess, as in control as you can be and to, yeah. in terms of saying what you want to say, I think is really the kind of biggest thing. Um, yeah. And but so you're trying to, don't, you're, what you're trying to say and what people are getting out of it. I mean, there's always a relationship, right. Uh, no matter what. And, you're trying through form and content to, to, to get that relationship to where you understand how it's working at least. It may not always match up. You know, you may be making something the viewer's not getting the same thing out of it at all. But the, just as you, the maker, 
uh, of the artwork, just understanding that relationship. I think that is the, the biggest thing. Even if it doesn't always match up and people aren't getting out of it what you want to get out of it, just understanding that there is a relationship um, and how it, it can work and can sometimes not work. I think that's the important thing. Right, right. Well, and so, you know, to follow up with that, you know, um, and I, I realize that you might might have a, a short amount of time today, but um, one of the things that I, I definitely want to hit on just just right following that up is, you know, you had a you had a little project that you did at the at the student center there at SIU. If you yeah. could maybe talk a little bit about and, and highlight some of some of that experience. Oh yeah, that was that was huge. Um, again, really thinking about conceptual works and performance and stuff and installation was new for me at that point but I was really into it I was into like Tom Friedman I was into like the art guys I was into like a lot of a lot of ways of making work and I kind of wanted to touch on that you know I kind of wanted to see well what what could I do and Chris Wildrick was around you know and I think he was really kind of formative uh, in a, a lot of thinking about artwork and, and what the possibilities are uh, with that, and so, yeah, I took this thing, and I was like, well, you know, if the power of suggestion, if it's this title that sort of cues you in to something being amiss or something not being right, um, I was like, you know, uh, why don't I apply this to other people's work, you know? Um, and so the student center at SIU, um, kind of a dungeon-like place i remember it it's kind of a dungeon and kind of like old hotel meets you know the pentagon kind of thing and uh there's always student artwork up there you know everywhere and um nobody really looks at it or gives it a thought and they have the titles up and the students that made it and whatnot so i went in and i just retitled a bunch of works and this was part of an installation class Mm -hmm. and so i retitled these things um and I made I matched the plaques as best I could to the the actual title plaques, and I just put them on top. And there would be stuff like, um, you know, uh, la- landscape with uh, mountain lion or something, and it was just this beautiful landscape. You don't see a mountain lion, sure, uh, kind of a thing. But it, it would kind of clue people in uh, to something. Um, I remember I think I did something like interior space with like prostitutes, right, right. <laughs> Um, and I think that was that was actually a drawing Tom Huck had done. Tom Huck was my first printmaking professor at Wash U and very influential, very excited guy. Probably the best woodcut artist in the nation, if not the world. Um, we, we didn't really get along. But uh, so he had this interior space to drawing of like these female figures, just pretty mundane. <laughs> and I mean, they were clothed. I mean, there wasn't anything to clue you in, but I was like, eh, interior space with prostitutes. Right, so right. how does that change the meaning of the piece? I was also interested in that idea. Well, what, why do you title something? How do you title something? What does it say? What does it actually do? But I was interested in that conceptual key. Uh, so then you're looking at this Monday drawing, and if you happen to glance at the title, you're like, oh, they're prostitutes. And although that wasn't the artist's intention, that was my intention. And I think that was a hugely formative piece for me. And most of making that work was the planning and, and the imagination of what could go wrong uh, and actually getting in there and, and putting those things up. I mean, there's a real Banksy kind of a moment where you have to, you have to, you have to be make decisions, you know, and, and they're, they're very visceral and you feel 
the tension when you're doing something you're not supposed to do that's really going against and challenging authority in a very um, active, intentional way. So I was paranoid when I was putting up those plaques. Um, sure. You know, and I was like, are there cameras? Where are they? What time of day should I go? Like, what if they catch me? You know, like, are they going to kick me out or something? Anyway, those plaques were up for months and um, nobody noticed. Eventually, one day they were just all gone. Which is kind of a shame because it, you know, it makes you makes me want to. It was just going to wonder, you know, if they if they were still up or not. Um, yeah, no, no, no. They, they eventually kind of took them down, well, but they were up there for a long time, and I was really pleased with that. And I, I feel like you know when you make something and you feel really great about the idea and you feel really great about the action, um, that was that was a hugely formative thing for me. I think. Sure. I don't do a tremendous amount of that now, but I'd like, I'd like to, like I said, I'd like to get back into, I'd like to get into gardening, I'd like to do some writing, <laughs> I'd like to go back to some guerrilla art. Um, well, yeah. And, and so, you know, a lot of this work is what, you know, what wound up culminating for your, for your MFA show and that. Um, and so, you know, afterwards, I, I know that you have been, you know, um, teaching um, in the area at a, at a, at a, you know, what like a junior junior facility, like a junior you know detention oh, facility yeah. and all that. But yeah. but I, I was going to get on because I because I don't want to again necessarily eat up a, a lot of time. And I do love those stories. But um, you know you found eventually your way up into Wyoming, and, and so I guess my one of my one of my questions, especially on that, is because I, I really think that you know your surroundings dictate a lot of what what you wind up doing or what you're stimulated by or interested in. So you know. Could you talk a little bit about the, the work that you wound up making then when you're, you know, completely removed from that environment of, you know, fo- football stadiums and, you know, I guess rural kind of like southern southern Illinois kind of areas where you were making some of these, you know, images from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, moving to Wyoming is huge. Um, it, what it is is really, I mean, it's a different planet. I tell everybody that out here. But it's really the absence of trees and humidity. And uh, that has affected my life and my outlook and my artwork in tremendous ways. Like, I remember the first time I flew into Denver International Airport driving up to Laramie uh, just, to, you know, before we actually moved just to see the place and, and rent, a, rent a place. And just not being able to take my eyes off the landscape was kind of amazing. And I had never been west of Kansas City uh, until I basically moved out here. Um, and, and so, I mean... I was like, and now looking back, now that I've seen a lot more Western art and sort of the, uh, you know, uh, landscape painters and, and Remingtons and all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, I understand what people were seeing when they when they came out here, and I'm like, dude, that is now I understand, you know, like all those, you know, sort of romantic Western paintings and things. Uh, and the attempts to sort of record that because it's impossible to look away from. Uh, but yeah, I think when I was in Southern Illinois, humidity and trees, I was thinking I was very, you know, I think there was a paranoid paranoia to that work, to the work I had been making uh, probably throughout my life, um, reflected in that whole idea of suggestion versus uh, expectation versus uh, presentation. Um, and when I got out here, it, was, it became more about, you know, there's something so empty out here yet so full and uh, 
again, thinking back to kind of minimalist, and I'm like, geez, this is a minimal landscape, but it's also really, it's also completely full too. Um, and so I was looking at the landscape and I was, what do you see out here? You kind of see, you see trucks and you see the trucking industry. Um, I, I started sort of doing, you know, renderings of trucks and things in the landscape and, uh, working with a lot of charcoal and thinking about the movement of like goods across the country. And it started with thinking about, well, what's in these trucks? Is it toilet paper? Is it drugs? Is it illegal immigrants? I mean, is it mundane or is there something going on? Um, and that a little bit of that paranoia, but but that kind of passed into this idea of the economy. And at that point was when you know we're starting to get into that time when the economy, 2007, 2008, when things are going to take a turn uh, for the worse. And right. thinking about these trucks and the economy and how they drive the economy. So I titled all the work economy. And it wasn't just about economy in terms of the movement of goods and services, but it was about economy in terms of finding that sense of space and minimalism in my work and mm-hmm. an economic strategy for creating an image. Because uh, a lot of my work previously, as you know, was pretty meticulous, pretty detailed, pretty um, a rep- in terms of representation. And this was very uh, much more, you know, a lot of brushwork, a lot of just like fading things out, a little bit of thinking about Richter and blurring things and just what is just enough for uh the people to get the image um and so you know i was i i, I, I like the, that work to some extent but it's one of those things where i feel like even my the- mfa thesis show i think was I, I don't think it was great you know i think some p- ideas and pieces were great but it, as a show it wasn't great the economy work was was okay it's getting kind of interesting, a little better, but I think when I moved into a couple of new things, which are looking at the the webcam images from the Wyoming Department of Transportation website, and then getting into these black box trash bags, I finally feel that things are tight, and, um, and a lot tighter as far as exhibitions go, and shows goes, and bodies of work goes, so I, I, I uh, so much of the weather here is terrible most of the time that you you have to look at the, the road conditions. They close, the roads close all the time and you can get trapped in Laramie um, pretty easy because we're just basically in a big bowl and you have to go over these kind of mountains to get here from any direction. And um, so you can get trapped here. So a lot of the time is spent on looking at weather reports and looking at, you know, the Department of Transportation website here and where they have uh web cameras set up to monitor road conditions. And so I was really like, I don't know when the aha moment was, but it was like these images that, you know, are just replaced every three to five minutes. There's something about, you know, and, and I started taking images off the web, you know, just usually during times of bad weather Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then manipulating them through the drawing process. A lot of, more economical sorts of things that I learned with the economy sort of series of work um, and a lot of brushwork, a lot of very just sensitivities to, to the material, to the charcoal and just kind of empty images. Um, and they were like, you know, they're kind of abstract, kind of representational. You didn't always know what you're looking at, but it was this idea of these trucks 
blasting through these times of incredibly tough weather. They look like spaceships in the in the webcam images, and I think the drawings kind of took a little bit of that. And again, I think the idea was more consistent here with this idea of relating this work to the uh, national economy and the national sort of spirit and mentality uh, that things were not all right. And you see these trucks sort of blasting through this landscape and this darkness and everything and really harsh weather. And uh, I think there was a little a suggestion of that uh, that was more effective in that body of work. And the body of work is titled from the webcam images Low Pressure because, and I don't know why, I'm not a meteorologist, but when you look at some of these images, it comes up with that sort of classic computer font, low pressure on the webcam image. Right. Um, and I don't understand it. I guess it means there's a low pressure system moving through at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know why I need to know that uh, when I'm looking at the webcam image. So it was, and the title is of the work is kind of ironic too, because at the time, you know, um, low pressure, uh, you know, you can think of low pressure system, but you can also think, well, I'm not demand, you know, low pressure demands. But at the time, you know, I'm making this work and my job is very demanding. My exhibitions are very demanding. You know, the time frame for showing work is very demanding. So everything for me was extremely high pressure, but I love titling the work low pressure. So, uh, and with an excellent pun there too. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, it's, um, I really like that work and, and I've kind of, continued with that. I love those images on webcams. It's going to go somewhere. Right. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be doing large-scale charcoal drawings based on those, but um, when I got to that residency in Wendover, I was was bringing... I I bought a uh, game camera or a trail camera, as it's sometimes called, where you... um, can it, it, if something walks by, the infrared will trip and it'll either take a still image uh, in the dark or in the daytime, whatever, or it can take video too. So I took this game camera out to Wendover, Utah, and basically set it up and, and got kind of my own compositions and my own trucks and things going by. And so that's that kind of per, is, is percolating right now. And um, so we'll see where that goes. Um, well, it's really cool, a cool way of getting images. These infrared images are pretty interesting. Okay, so and one of the other things that I was going to ask about too, um, you know, obviously, like like there's a, a lot of charcoal drawing um, in your in your work, and you've talked in the and over the interview just about um, you know maybe different avenues of exploration and these you know infrared camera you know images and stuff like that. So I mean, you know, how has that it, I guess opened up a bit and. You know, you, you, you've talked about this uh, residency a couple of times. What what stuff has come out of that that, that you find interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's just talking about that, uh, the the images, the web images, and the low pressure series and stuff like that. Um, this, and being economical in the work, um, somebody, a couple of people, I was really looking at and I really admired um, in the art world are uh, Viha Selmans and also James Drake. Um, and just a quick note on them, um, Viha Selmans is an uh, artist. She does, you know, these very meticulous graphite and charcoal and drawings and lithographs of, you know, like just water and waves or a starry night sky that's, and then, or just like spider webs. And there's something that is so, they're incredibly representational, but at the same time, they're incredibly minimal and incredibly abstract. And so there's this line between 
representation and abstraction that's happening for me in her work where I can't tell if it's super minimal or if it's super representational. And there's this, there's a tension there. And there's an interesting line that the V.S. Elmans is walking that I, I love. And it's just a really peaceful sort of thing to contemplate. And James Drake uh, is an artist uh, who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, got a studio there. My friend Pat Keatcut um, knows, and he does some large drawings, or has done large charcoal drawings in the past, and of various things, and uh, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, Jim Drake, who's really an interesting guy, but one of the things that stories that, to relate about him is that, you know, he wanted to be a painter, um, and he saw the raft of the Medusa and said, well, that's it. I can't, I can't be a painter. I, there's no way I can get, you know, to that level. I know and that so feeling. Just like, he just said, I, and so he gave himself permission just to do drawings. And uh, I've kind of done the same thing, I think. And so drawing is kind of my process, and it's just some material I'm familiar with that I love as far as material goes and the way it looks. And I've given myself permission to do that. As artists, as you know, you give yourself permission to do something. Um, so that's kind of why I draw and, and kind of what I'm interested in now between representation and abstraction. Um, Content-wise, uh, as you know, we were in at the residency R342 Fort Collins, which was incredibly formative, uh, where I just wanted to get back into rep- drawing from representation – or drawing from observation, sorry. And I struggled a lot at first. You know, I was tacking things to the wall and drawing them. And then there was just this one night, man, and uh, I put up that, one of those black plastic trash bags, just something that I was around me. And I was doing a lot of mundane objects like that and put tack that up and something happened. Just drew it from observation and it just clicked. And I'm like, dude, it's kind of like a Rorschach where it kind of looks like a portrait, but it's not, you know, and, and it kind of suggests something, all these folds and shadows and lights and things, but it doesn't really force anything. Um, and that was it. And that was that, that observational drawing, meditating, while I'm drawing and working with the material, but in the aim of creating a line that the viewer can walk between representation and abstraction. And um, so that's what I've been doing in terms of... Um, uh, I, that's what I've been doing in terms of uh, uh, that. Uh, and that's kind of different from the low-pressure work and the, uh, the, the cameras and things. But uh, when I went to Windover... Um, to relate a story that was kind of formative. I mean, I'm looking at things in the landscape. Windover, Utah, and right on the border between Utah and Nevada. It's an amazing place. I mean, we could talk for an hour about that, but I'll just kind of relate one story about it because um, all that work is percolating. I'm, I was there with a couple other artists that I work with here in Wyoming, uh, David Jones uh, and Pat Keycut. We were out there, and they were gone. Um, Pat, I think, took a break to go up in the mountains and, with his girlfriend, uh, which was cool. You know, but I was there alone. It was around Fourth of July, something like that. And uh, you know, I I went outside. The way it's set up is really cool. You got a, a living space and a studio, and it's kind of right next to an old Air Force base. It's really kind of interesting. And it's in the desert, basically. It's right off the salt flats. And um, surprisingly, there's a ton of life out there. Um, birds, you know, coyotes, jackrabbits, snakes, lizards. And, and cockroaches and insects. And um, I remember going out one night, and we, we grilled a lot of meat. I mean, we just 
grilled so much meat at that residency. It was crazy. Uh, and I was, I was standing around the grill right outside the residency, and there's, there's there was hundreds of cockroaches that had come out that night, you know, and they were eating all the grease from the grill, you know, that we splattered on the ground, and they were disgusting and abhorrent and grotesque. And um, me, in a drunken rage, I started uh, squishing them. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, when I was a kid too, you know, getting back to the toys thing, I enjoyed overturning rocks and, and squishing bugs. There was some, something deeply pleasurable about that. And um, so I'm squishing these cockroaches and sort of relishing it in a grotesque horror kind of way. And uh, when I crushed them, um, I noticed that they became abstract. Uh, and I thought that was fascinating um, how these creatures were so organized and really ancient and, and, and amazing creatures, grotesque but amazing, how organized they are. And when you crush them, they can become so abstract and unorganized and sort of chaotic. And so now I'm sort of moving towards uh, abstracting these cockroaches for the, my, my current body of work which is sort of relates to the bag drawings, um, balancing a line between representation and abstraction. You kind of see cockroach and cockroaches in these new drawings, but you can't. You can also see a very abstract sort of Rorschach field of parts, and I think that's very interesting. And it also relates to the greatest movie ever made, which is um, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, and which was also a very influential movie along with you know Aliens and stuff, but. You know, you, in that movie, of course, there's a shape-shifting alien that lives inside a dog, for example, or a human, and all of a sudden it's just a normal dog or human, but all of a sudden it is totally disorganized, and it bursts out with tentacles and blood and mouths and eyes and things. And so um, that movie, of course, you don't know who the alien is, and that's a brilliant idea, um, and that's what's so scary about it. When you see the monster and the grotesqueries of it, it's, it's, it's more shock. Um, but it's actually a very tense movie um, because you don't know who the alien is. But anyway, this idea of these cockroaches being abstracted and disorganized and drawing them is is going in a good direction. And I'm, I'm actually using cockroaches and grinding them up and making field paintings with those that look like landscapes and stuff too. So I'm at a good place. That's, that's, <laughs> I wanted to make sure to relate a couple of those things to you. Well, and I um, think, I think what, maybe what I was trying to get at um, a while back was one of the things that I, that I think is so interesting is just that even if something is very abstract in its nature, like you were saying in terms of Richter, I mean, it's still based off of representation, Yeah, you know, yeah. which is something that, that is really interesting. Um, and, and in interest of time, I do have some some questions that are that I want you to be as straightforward and yeah, let's do rapid pared, pared down as as possible. So the, the um, rapid fire section. You know what I what I want to know is this massive drawing that you did um, for an exhibition. How how long? I don't know how long would you say you, you depend. I mean, in terms of scale, like a maybe like an average piece. How long do you spend working on stuff? Because uh, my job is pretty demanding, I, 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 usually that takes like a semester. I guess. Right. And I, I put everything in academic terms, so I'd say like a semester, kind of working on that off and on. Probably working on a couple other pieces too at the same time. Um, so always yeah. got always got your hands in different things and, and different yeah. projects going on. Um, yeah. And so following that up, since since we've talked about teaching a couple of times too, 
um, my condensed version of this. If you had to, you know, obviously you, you're a pretty impassioned teacher. I've, I've witnessed this myself, but, um, you know, what, um, what advice, if there was any to, to give to somebody that is studying art, what would be the, the, the one thing that you'd say, do this? Uh, I would say I, what I want to tell my students is be in the studio all the time. Like, even if you're not making work, be at the studio. Would you agree with that, David? Yeah, I mean, I, that's I, good advice. No, I think, you know, I think that um, being in that environment, being around people, you know, is certainly one of those things where you have all these conversations, which is, again, what, again, partially what I love about this, this podcast is that um, there's been plenty of times where I've been in those conversations myself, yeah. you know, in the clean room or in a break room type situation where you're, you're having these conversations about these little moments that you find and yeah. become interested by. So I, I would agree. I think that's a, it's a great piece of advice. I don't know if it's cliche. Is it cliche? It's just so damn true. No, but I, th- I think it's totally true, you know? Um, and I think it's again, hard to, hard to really separate it. You know, one of the things that I found, um, which is hilarious. I've got, I think I've got a really great bunch of students, um, for, for my, for one of my classes. And, um, one of my students had said that they wanted to be an art teacher, um, a university art teacher. And I jokingly yesterday was talking about, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you could look into other things too. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, um, I, I think one of the things that yeah, I so said, you and get I, out your, your stack of McDonald's applications. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, you know, I thought about it like, you know, and, and maybe cause we, we started this talking a little bit about movies. It makes you want to bring it back to it. Um, but I, I was saying and explaining that one of the things that's interesting to me is that, um, following all these things out, it's very hard to not be analytical. Um, and I had this really silly moment of an acknowledgement, um, which should have been really obvious, but I, I guess I just kind of like it as a story cause it just happened really recently. But, um, you know, in the movie, the descendants, it's, it's, there's, there's some pretty difficult, um, family kind of situations and, and kind of things that spring up in that movie. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is there, there were times where, um, Alexander Payne's, uh, you know, director of photography or cinematographer or whatever, you know, just like summarizes something very, very straightforwardly with like the visual of something. And it does it in a way that, you know, even if George Clooney gives, um, you know, like a big, you know, flowery speech or something like that, or, you know, some, something where he's talking a lot about, about, you know, really important things. Sometimes it's just like the look of something, you know, which I think, you know, I, I think makes a lot of sense in terms of being a, a visual artist. But, um, you know, I was, I was explaining that, you know, it's so hard to not be analytical, you know, cause you, yeah. it's so hard, you know, like I said, I've said to people, I've, you know, I sat in a room for, you know, however many years, eight years or, you know, whatever, talking about things and thinking yeah. about things. So it's really hard to separate from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I yeah. guess at the same time, I think it's fun because you wind up learning about, you know, the way that there's messages and things encoded into everything, you know, yeah. inherently, you know. Oh, totally. And I think that, you know, I think with, with my own work, it, I, it, I'm not trying to save the world here and I'm not trying to be like, I think that so much contemporary art is how do I, you know, be as clever as possible and make something that, of course we want people to look at our work, but I think there's just this thing where, and you see this in art programs where you teach art. I mean, it's, there's this thing that's getting away from traditions and, and of craft and things like that where um, people are really advocating this idea that you have to be, no matter what it is, it has to be bigger and better 
and more sort of clever than, than what's come before. And I'm not saying all art, but I'm saying a lot of, I think there's a, there's an undercurrent of a mentality that you somehow have to be more clever than the people that are, are also that you're, you know, competing with or whatever. And I don't, I don't like that. And I don't, I don't ascribe to that. And I feel like I can do these charcoal drawings. I'm not, it's, it's like baby steps for me, you know, I'm moving towards things, you know, but I'm, I, I love doing what I do. And I think it's, I think it's just as valid as somebody who's, you know, making work, uh, about, you know, like with, putting together, you know, like I saw in Huffington Post the other day, somebody made paintings out of wine, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, great, you know, um, right, that's, right. that's fine, that's good, you know, and, and there's a place for that, but it's like, uh, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? No, no, completely, you know, and I think I've talked about this, you know, even on the podcast before, I mean, I, for myself, I mean, um, you know, obviously, you know, knowing about art history and, you know, being in tune with what's going on is, is very important. But I think that, um, the role of, you know, you talked about philosophy, being able to really think about what you do and to really take the time to develop that and process it and watch it evolve is really important and informative in terms of figuring out what kind of work you make and, and, and to really stick with it for a long period of time, as opposed to, you know, me say being in a situation where I'm like, oh, I'm in graduate school and I'm not, you know, I'm a painter and I'm not doing, you know, I'm trying these different experiments, but it, you know, they, they feel like they they're drawing me away from what I really love to do. Mm-hmm. And, no, um, and I think there's I think there's total time for experimentation. I think everybody should do it throughout their artistic careers. But I think I think it's also it's all about giving yourself permission. And I keep going back to that idea where uh, it's like James Drake in painting. He gave himself permission not to have to paint. You know. And um, you give yourself permission. I'm giving myself permission to draw, to do these drawings. And um, and there'll be times when I give myself permission to do something that's highly conceptual. I mean, I'm, I did a lot of video work in Wendover as well um, that's pretty minimal and pretty conceptual. And you kind of give yourself permission at different points to do what it is that you do. And it's just important to be genuine to yourself. Sure. Well, and, and I found that, you know, especially, um, you know, the those other bodies of work wind up reinforcing things. But I, th- I think there's a difference between forcing that, forcing the issue and then just letting it evolve, which is, it, which is why it's, you know, it's exciting to, to think of uh, what all this stuff is going to look like. So um, uh, just, just a couple of little things, but, and especially, well, this one, you have to be extremely specific about and, and quick shall be quick. Cause sure, I know you got to get out sure, of here. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, uh, just, you know, last year, two years, whatever, um, uh, what was the what was the uh, exhibition that that you saw that um, they said, "Damn," you know? Oh, so a great exhibition. Yeah. Uh, okay, it is. Um, uh, I can't, it was at Site San Fe, and it was. Uh, I can't remember the overall name of the show. God, I'm so sorry, but it was at Site San Fe. You can see their past exhibitions on their website, and it was uh, video works, time based video works that had to incorporate the hand in some way. So it was like Kara Walker's sort of silhouette puppets right. videos. Um, uh, 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 Thomas DeMond uh, did a folded paper thing uh, video where uh, it looked like it was raining on his concrete studio floor, but it was really just folded paper that he moved in a, in a stop motion way. 
God, what was the name of the show? Um, I don't know, but you should definitely check it out. It was well, just and, and perhaps per, perhaps I'll put a little bit of a, a, a recommendation in the uh, description for the podcast. Um, yeah. But um, it's not, I already you know really dig Thomas Demand, so that I think I, I've got that written down and need to yeah. investigate that already. But um, yeah, check out um, check out site Santa Fe uh, previous exhibitions and. You will look that up. Um, it's something where I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of a catalog, you know, that they made for that that show. I do think, um, to, and it's partially just because I've been there a lot. But Site Santa Fe is doing great things, um, great work uh, alongside, you know, really traditional work that's in that town. Right, and right. And um, another great place to check out is the Museum of Contemporary Art, Denver. Um, that's a great, great spot. I would love to show my work there anytime. Just let me know the time, and I will go. And I, will, <laughs> and I promise I will not disappoint. Um, well, that's and, a really great space. Well, and so um, you know, uh, it's obviously been awesome talking to you, and I, I, I feel like uh, we'll have to have. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking for ways of figuring out um, little short, weird episodes with a bunch of different people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, kind of maybe something like I did similar in the past. Um, but um, everybody's got so many interesting stories, which is why it's hard to yeah. hard to keep this down under an hour. Or in that yeah. range, but um, the last thing that I was just going to ask you, you know, is um, you got a lot of stuff going on, and I know that you, um, you know, have spaces out in Santa Fe and, and things going on. Is, is is there anything that we should keep our eye on? And you know, obviously, uh, after this is up, I hope everybody goes and, and visits your website, which is uh, what if you could refresh my memory. Yeah, just shelbyshidewell.com. All right, yeah, so go forward. go check it out. But um, what what's what can we look forward to uh, from me or just from you? General? Yeah. Uh, for me, there will be a tidal wave of drawings. There's going to be a tidal wave of work coming for this show that we're having in Wendover. Um, and uh, I, I encourage everybody to to check out those artists as well, David Jones and Pat Keycut. Um, links to their stuff from my site. But they're, they're, uh, we're doing kind of a collaborative show um, and continue to exhibit together. But I'm really excited about these cockroach drawings. And <laughs> they relate to the bag drawings and they're just kind of personally awesome for me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and when is this exhibition? Uh, uh, there's, we haven't titled it yet, but it's a, an exhibition that we we're going to have at the center for land use interpretations, Wendover residency program. So it'll be in Wendover, Utah this summer in this July. Awesome. Awesome. And I've got video work, um, just really quickly, cause you'll, you'll enjoy this. You may want to edit this out cause it's dirty, but, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, uh, uh, couple having sex on the salt flats from about 500 feet away. And so huh. they look like a mirage, and you can't tell what they're doing, but it's it's pretty dirty. Interesting. It's pretty dirty. So you have to imagine. <laughs> I'm calling it, I'm calling it, they call the salt flats playas, which is beach in Spanish, but I'm calling that playa action. Nice, number nice. Number one. Well, well the, <laughs> the, action number one. The funny thing is, though, Shelby, with 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 maybe some of the stuff that uh, we'll investigate in terms of seeing your work um, at your website, um, it is a distinct possibility that it could be some uh, 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 two creatures uh, from the desert, uh, yeah. something abstracted so far out of the way that you don't even know what's going on, or or that yeah, anticipation yeah. buildup. Is he really serious, or is he just pulling our legs? So yeah, exactly. Um, you don't know, so it's all coming full circle swing. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, Shelby, it's been uh, great having you on, and um, you know, uh, we'll we'll talk to you real soon. Yeah, thank you very much. This is a real, real pleasure. 
Special thanks again to Shelby for joining us today. You can find out more about his work and see it at shelbyshadwell.com. Of course, if you like what you've heard today, you can check out more episodes of Studio Break by visiting studiobreak.com. Please tell your friends. Please share it on Facebook. Please become a fan on Facebook. Our music today, again, was found at Free Music Archive. You can check that out and download whatever. It's a great resource. And we are listening to Bob Wiseman. Um, the intro track is uh, Just Tourists, and we're going to outro with Cockroach very fittingly. And that's all the time we've got for today, so I hope you're getting stuff done in the studio. Hopefully it's not freezing and you have a very productive weekend and day, and we'll talk to you real soon. And I scream. And I scream.
I offensive. 